All right, how's everybody doing? Great. Everybody's alive, alert, and enthusiastic? Some of you? All right. Hey, I'm going to ask you to do this. I, coming off of that worship time, the, boy, that was, to me, something that stirred my soul, and, and, and I pray that that continues to take place inside of me today as I preach and as we go about the day. I pray that God will continue to stir your heart uh, as we just came off, I think, a dynamite worship time. We're not done, though, so hold tight. But I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, in this room right now, you be honored. You be honored in what is God spoken, and God, you be honored in what is going to take place. We ask God that the words that we're about to hear, that God, we would be doers of them and not merely hearers, as your word says, deceiving ourselves. That we would take, oh God, and apply, God, things that you're telling us. Help us, oh God. Strengthen us today. And if anybody in this room is questioning or is, is worried or has anxiety or has fear or is even going, God, I'm angry or whatever it may be, oh God, meet each person uniquely as you do, right where they're at, right where they're sitting, whether they're online or here in person. Thank you, God. Do your work. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. We're continuing on in a series that's entitled Spiritual Revolution. And the idea behind spiritual revolution is that we believe that God has, God wants us to be emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy. And the way that that takes place is by doing what? By taking and merging emotional health and spiritual contemplativeness together. And how does that happen? By taking time alone with God to help God, to, to allow God to work beneath the surface of our souls. And when we allow God to work beneath the surface of our souls, I believe that as scripture is stated, and I've spoken over the last few weeks, that it will, be, that it will bring nothing short of a spiritual revolution in your life, period. And so with that, I've used the illustration, and many of you are very aware of it because you've heard it. Maybe you're here for the first time and you've not heard it, but how most of our life is lived above the surface. It's like an iceberg. You see the 10% above the surface, but there's this 90% below the surface that in an iceberg, it sinks the ship. You don't see it. The ship, if they're not navigating right or if they're not aware of what lies beneath, it can sink the ship. And in the same case in our lives, if we don't become clued into what lies beneath and deal with that, it can ruin our lives, period. And so I've been looking at the problem of emotional unhealthiness. We've looked at the life of Saul. You can go back online and listen. The life of Saul. We've looked at the life of David. We've looked at the life of Joseph. We've looked at the life of Abraham. Last week we looked at the life of Jesus and how ultimately grieving and death helps us to grow, to become more like Christ and helps us to, to develop uh, beneath the surface of our soul up into a personal relationship with God if we'll allow the grieving process to take place in our souls. And today we're going to look at what is called the daily office. We're going to look at rhythms of life as it relates to the daily office and Sabbath. 
And so for some of you, you're, you're wondering, well, where, where do you get all these ideas and so forth? Years ago, I read a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And I would recommend that you get it. And some of you have emailed me and some of you have gotten it and you've read it. You're going, this has been very, very life-giving. And for me, it was very life-giving. And so I thought it would be fitting to take and speak to some of the things that he spoke to and address that because it's highly biblical. The key word for today is rhythms. And I don't know if you know about rhythms in life, but rhythms are good. I I like a good rhythm. I I like a good set of worship where you hear that, you know, if the rhythm's off, we're all like, dear God. But when the rhythm's on, you're going, man, that sounds nice. But in our culture, our culture knows little of rhythms. And most people, it's 24-7, nonstop. People are going at at breakneck speed. That may be your life. Some of you are here today going, "You're, you're right. I need a vacation. I need a breather. All of that. Descriptive words for our culture could be this, scattered, fragmented, uncentered, overloaded. You throw whatever word you want to throw in there to describe maybe your life and what you, where you're at and what you're going through. The question I would have is this, if our lives are fragmented and if our lives are breakneck speed and if our lives are oftentimes kind of broken because we just don't take time to know God. And if you don't take time to know God, I've talked about this. If you don't take time to know God, you will truly never grow to know even who you are. Because you'll be deceived into thinking that you're just all right. When the reality is, is everything stems from your relationship with God, period. So the question I have is, how do we live life oriented around God? How how do you live a life calm? How do you live a life that is contented? And, 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 and relaxed. And I, I don't know about you, I can't live life that I was created to live without connection with God. Let me say that again. I can't live the life that God has called me to live without connection with God. And I'm not talking about just on a Sunday morning and a little tingly spine, tingling worship experience, and that's wonderful, and we want God to stir our souls, and there's something about that emotion that that kicks up inside of us. But I'm not talking about just on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about throughout the week and and, 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 and in the days of your lives and so forth. And you, we've had even up here on our platform uh, some time ago a treadmill in which if you watch as somebody goes on a treadmill and it's going faster and faster and faster and faster, it would be dangerous if the treadmill's going at breakneck speed and all of a sudden you just jump off. Or worse yet, you're on the treadmill and all of a sudden you get distracted. And you, you ever watch that? YouTube that. It's fun. But the reality is it's fun watching it, but it's never fun if it, if it happens to you, is it? And so our lives as a culture often is going at breakneck speed, and we're going faster and faster, and we can't just jump off. We need to slow down our lives. But how do we slow down our lives? How do we get to a place where there, this beneath-the-surface stuff that's all messy and all garbled and all that begins to be transformed? Well, there's two ancient treasures that um, have been practiced for some time, and the first is a daily office. Now, a daily office, and you go, what do you mean? It's like a fixed hour of prayer. And, and why? It, this is what you would know it as. Some of you that have been a Christ, Christians for any length of time, you would know it as the prayer or devotional life. Some of you have prayer and devotional life. Some of you go, I don't take time to do that because, again, I'm going fast and running hard and all that type of stuff. But office, is from the Latin, the word there is derived work of God. Work of God. And 
And so this daily office is a time in which you will take intentional moments to, to, to still your soul and quiet yourself and engage with your heavenly Father. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And so today we're going to look at the, of the life of a guy that was, to me, a dynamite individual. Not perfect. Didn't have it all together. But he definitely um, was used by God in a powerful way. And the idea of this daily office and this work of God, this individual practiced. And Daniel was in Jerusalem when it was taken over in AD 70. And, and he was... Uh, taken over by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies came in and the, they, they conquered Jerusalem and, and Daniel was a guy that was carried off into slavery. And as he was carried off into slavery, they took the best, the brightest, they left and killed often those that were less than or, or they just you know, abandoned them, but they took the brightest and the wisest and the smartest and the most good looking and all that type of stuff. And, and with that, after they had defeated and raped and done all the things and demolished the temple, Daniel was trained for three years in the best universities. He was studying history and astrology and mathematics and medicine and myth and religion, literature and the gods of the Babylonians and magic and sorcery and charms and all of that. And all of the things that were banned in Israel, Babylon brought to the table. And Babylon taught, they taught uh, Daniel how he was supposed to live versus the way he was in Israel. And so he, it was a completely different thought world that he entered. Imagine that. You grew up in Marshfield, and this is the way you did it in Marshfield, and this is the way you did church in Marshfield, and this is the way you, you lived in your family in Marshfield, and all of a sudden you're taken off to India. And you're held captive in India in the way that they practice religion, in the way that they do life, in the way that they have interfamily family uh, relationships. Everything's different. Imagine if you were a young child and you understood it one way, and now you're being rewired to learn it another way. That's exactly what happens to Daniel. And, uh, and with that, the picture here is, it's, it's, it's in the rest of the Bible, it's a picture of worldliness. Babylon is this world we live in. Our culture, by the way, is, is in the Bible, crafted in as a picture of Babylon. The United States is that picture. And in Revelation 17, it, the, who's behind Babylon? The, the great enemy of our soul, Satan, the beast. And, and this, this dragon in, in Revelations is talking about how they want to intoxicate us and get us drunk. I'm not talking drunk, physically drunk, but literally mentally, by Babylon. Take our eyes off of God and focus on things that are ungodly. And Babylon, in Revelation 17, wants to take and absorb the believer, absorb you from staying connected to the one who loves you. And who ultimately sent his son to lay his life down for you. And Revelation 17 talks about that, that Babylon and the beast is coming up. And, and Babylon reflects our nation today. And so, with that, chapter 6. Now it's the Persian Empire and Daniel has a responsible job. He's been elevated in, in the kingdom because of God's hand and providence. And here's the thing with Daniel is that even though Daniel was taken and he was taught and he was told and he, and he, and he was uh, uh, kind of rewired, you know what he didn't forget? He didn't forget about God. He never, ever abandoned his roots as it related to his relationship with God. A lot of others did, 
but not Daniel. And so we come to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 6, and this is so critical for us to understand this, this, this God focus and this office time that, that I believe God is wanting us to uh, take and, and apply to our lives because he wants to have form a spiritual revolution in our souls. So here, let's look at this. Daniel's now been elevated in the kingdom, and he's, he's a governor, and he's, he's, he's got a, some power, so to speak, but yet he didn't attach so much to Babylon that he forgot what was right. And so, here we go, Daniel 6, 6. These, then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. That's how they talked in that day. And so we're talking commissioners and governors and leaders and uh, officials came. And all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast in the lion's den. And being, you know, a good king, you know, a good king goes, ooh, I'm the man, and I'm, you know, and I've got it all together, and, you know, I mean, what good king doesn't want to be worshipped? I mean, really. And so the king likes the fact that they're coming, and why are they doing this? Because they're intimidated by a man that has a personal relationship with God, that has wisdom from God, and they don't know how to deal with it other than going the crooked route. And so they go in and they try to, they try to uh, uh, twist things up, and the king takes it hook, line, and sinker, and they establish this, this injunction, and he signs the document, and, and, and in verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the document that is the injunction that no one should worship anybody, even bow down, whatever, but to King Darius. But then when Daniel then knew and heard that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. In other words, Babylon, I live here. And Babylon, you've taught me. But Babylon, you don't have my heart. Babylon, you will never have my heart. Because there's only one that has my heart. God Almighty. And so, with that, he gets out and he prays giving thanks before his God as he had done previously three times a day. Then verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication, which means earnest asking before his God. And then they approached as bespoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction? And they go on and basically say that if, you know, if somebody prays to a God other than you uh, in the 30 days that they be cast into the lion's den. And the king replied, statement's true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Verse 13. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Here's the point, is that what had happened is in the midst of Babylon and in the midst of the culture that which, in which you and I, we live in, that we do not forget that we are to have a lifelong habit that we are to have a lifelong habit of meeting with our Heavenly Father day in and day out for every day of the rest of your life. That the United States of America and all of its cultural norms and all of its things that are going on and all the perks and the bells and the whistles and the things that are out there that you're going, man, that's great, I love it, that it may be enticing and it's fine that you at some level engage in it because you live in it and all that, but you don't forget God. You don't forget God. 
Dan, just like Daniel, I mean, in the Bible drips of this, Psalm 119, seven times a day I praise you. It's good to praise the Lord, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, Psalm 92, 2. Evening and morning and noon, I cry out to you in distress, and he hears my voice. Throughout scripture, it drips of listening to God and having him speak to you and and, and getting alone in solitude and pausing, slowing down to seek him, to, to center on him, and not to get from God, not to go, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, but to be with God in the goal of God, and he so loves this, is for you to commune with him. He wants you to commune with him. He longs for you to listen. And the key, two key elements of the daily office is scripture it's taking scripture and stopping in stillness and silence. And it's one of, to me, one of the greatest missing spiritual disciplines in the church today. I'm not talking about gathering. I don't know if you know this, but literally, there's, the, there's no Greek. The New Testament doesn't church. The word church does not exist. It's congregation. And so when we, we're a congregation. But the reality is, is that the church is people that go out and live life, and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we congregate, and when we congregate, yes, we will sing and worship and, be, and, and, and hear words from, from, hopefully, from the Lord, and I preach well, and so forth, but it was never meant to be your exclusive meal in relationship with God. So you're to take scripture and stop in silence and stillness, And quietness and stillness is very difficult for us. And why do we do this daily offices and allow this work of God to take place in us? Because it recovers the contemplative dimension of prayer. Soren Kierkegaard, one of the a great theologian, and, and uh, there was some controversy around him, and he was also a philosopher, said in the last pages of his journal before he died, if I could only prescribe one remedy for the ills of the modern world, I would prescribe silence. For if the word of God were proclaimed, it would not be heard right now. There is too much noise, so I prescribe silence. It's been also said this, that the only thing big enough to contain God is silence. So simple, but it's hard, isn't it? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I were to say, how many of you just like to just sit in silence? Nothing in your hand, no food, no beverage, no book, no nothing, just you. Most of us, if we're honest, would go, I struggle to do that. And some of you are going, I wish I had that. Well, then this is your day because that's where we're rolling. Even the early desert fathers that, that go, we're done with you know, Babylon and we're done with the hustle and bustle. They go out to the desert and they found that even in the caves as hermits, that they were, became too obsessed with their manual labor. Even, even they became envious and anger with laziness of others and they became compulsive about their personal material possessions, though there was just a little bit. And they fantasized about sex and food and all of that. It's a human problem that they, they, were, they were still distracted by life, even though you go, well, if I just went to a cave and I was by myself and it was silence, I wouldn't be distracted. Or would you? Because they were, and the reality is, is that we have that problem in central Wisconsin, just like you could have that problem in the desert. And imagine if we stopped in the middle of our day and we want to let go and be with God and we turn off the phone. And this is what I'm asking you to do. Turn off the phone. 
Turn off the social media. Turn off the TV. Turn off the, turn off the radio. Turn it off and begin to hear God and recenter your life around God. <laughs> okay, now, some of you are going, sure, Jason, that just works out wonderful for me. I'm asking you to take five or 10 or 15 minutes morning, noon, and night to refocus your life, and you don't have to, but I think it will be totally a revolution if you would, and read a psalm, read, read a psalm and pray and listen and, and just, just sit there in silence. But then what happens, this might just be an image of, of what happens in your life, your mind gets flood, flooded with thoughts. Let me give you a little glimpse of, of what, what, what would look, look like for me. All right, God. I'm meeting with you right now. Good morning. I'm just going to sit here and chill. Did I back up my computer last night? You know, Joe never called me back. Ah, oh, did I get that library book back? Can't remember if I took that library book. Oh, man, the World Series, the World Series. You know, Iraq, North Korea, ISIS. All this is going through my mind and, and personal life. I, ah, oh, the car, I should have taken the car to the service center. I should have done that. I know I should have, I should have. God, I, 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 I wonder who's calling, but I have my phone off right now. Should I do the laundry today or tomorrow? God, you know what? I should have just done a silent prayer retreat because this isn't working, okay? I should have just gotten away. God, are you in this? Am I wasting my time? <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I'm going, all of that's flooding my mind in silence. And I'm sitting there trying, and, and Jason, oh, oh, my stomach hurts. Oh, my uncle had stomach cancer. I wonder if I, I go to the doctor. Am I the only person that wrestles with the mind? Sitting there and going, I just wanted to meet with God. And now I'm worried about having stomach cancer. And I should start a high-fiber diet. Because, because of the reality of what I'm going through. And I need to get that checked out. And then I'm wondering, yeah, man, you know, how's the bank account? And is it balanced right? All of this and this stuff comes rolling in. And then I, I you know, I think, you know, did, did, uh, and, and then I, I look and I, I bet, I bet I've got 10 emails that just came in. And you know how many minutes have gone by since I thought all of that? Four. Four. Four minutes. You know why? Because this is a practice that is, if it's, if it's hard for me, it's more than likely hard for you. But if you're going to have a revolution and you're going to grow to know God, it is something that we must put into practice. And what happens is that as you practice, just like if you were in sports ever in your life, or you, you were in school and you, you studied, and the more you studied, the better you got, or the more that you practiced, the better you got, because you, you just it took some time in the same way. The more that you take time out to get alone and practice this daily work of God in your life, the more it will become normal. And the more you will begin to listen, the more you will begin to hear, and the more you begin to sit still, the more God will begin to do in your life. And the more what will happen is Babylon will get sucked out of you and the presence and power and spirit of God will begin to fill you up it will but you're wondering why you're powerless or you're wondering why God's gone missing or why God's silent God's not gone missing God's not gone silent and God's not powerless he is speaking we just have stopped listening and he's asking us 
lay our lives down and take a breather and not get legalistic about it, but to seek God. And remember that your prayers matter to God and, and get in a rhythm in which you meet with God and pray that he will do what only he can do. But what happens is that we often end up living off of other people's spirituality. You end up living off of my teaching. And that's it. This, this message wasn't meant to be your only meal, meal of consumption spiritually. You, you, you aren't called to be one inch deep as a Christian because there's deepness in your soul that God wants to mature and grow you into a spiritual adult. And he's wanting you not to live off other people's spirituality, but he's wanting you to know him and participate in continuous prayer. The Bible says that you can pray without ceasing, for that is the will of God, and everything give thanks, for that's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So there's this, there's this, this office, this work of God that he's wanting to do, and literally it's this. If you don't schedule it, if I don't schedule it in the morning, and in the afternoon, and in the evening, I will not Get alone with God. I don't have a stool here, but the stool could represent me sitting down and just saying, God, at this moment right now, I've got four back-to-back meetings, and I've got stuff going on, and I don't want to take a break right now. And, and what, I, what I'm saying is this, is that when I take a break and I just sit down in the chair, and this will happen in my office, this can happen at home, this can happen, it could be in your car, and you go, right now, God, I'm recentering my life to make sure that Babylon, that the United States of America, that the culture that drives and drives and drives us so fast will not have its claws in me, but you will be my master, my Lord, my Savior, my friend, my Father, my Heavenly Father. The question I ask of you is this. Will you do it? Will you do it? Which leads us to another radical idea. It's called a Sabbath. A Sabbath. Now, I know what some of you type A personalities are thinking in here. Just so you know, you're going, Pastor, you're driving me crazy. Because you're like, you're, you go, you go, you go, you go. And here's your world. And this was, my, was my, kind of my hope today. Is your world over here is like this. It's business. It's activity. It's this huge stuff. And then over here is your spiritual contemplative world. And my hope is that either this shrinks down and this enlarges or this enlarges. And yes, this remains the same, but this enlarges to the point to where it's balanced so that it's not all about all the business and activity of your life. So how can we take this big chunk of our life and this little small piece that we call spirituality and our relationship with God and enlarge and or shrink to balance that out. Here's key. A Sabbath. You turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Sabbath. Which you've heard of, Sabbath. What does it mean? Refers to a 24-hour period each week. And if you were in the Jewish community, it would be from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. It was to be it was set apart and holy and distinct. Sabbath was stopping, literally, to stop. That's what it means. Sabbath 
literally means stop. So it's a structure to build doing nothing into your schedule. How do you like that, type A's? It's a structure of building and doing nothing. Just, what, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm not doing anything. And so it's radical. Exodus 20. It's, it, and I'm not going to read all of these Ten Commandments right now, but I'm going to read. But, but here's the thing. If I killed one of your neighbors last night, what happens? I go to jail. Probably for the rest of my life. Might even end up on death row. It's a commandment. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? If I commit adultery, what happens? More than likely, my marriage will fail. My children will be wrecked. All of that type of stuff going on. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You know, don't commit adultery. You know, don't steal. Don't, don't have any other gods before you. But here's one that we abandoned. And the reason I think we have not or are not having a spiritual revolution is we have missed one of the most important commandments that God gave that is not Old Testament exclusive, but is part of the New Testament and was meant to always be part of of the New Testament church. And this is radical, and some of you are going to tweak and twinge or whatever at, at this thought, but in verse, it's the fourth one, and it says this, and this is God to us, not just for the, the Israelites, but for Christian community and culture. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord our God. You shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Do you know that this is the only commandment that he expounds on? The one that he just blows up and just, just balloons that thing to show us that he is wanting us to, to obey this what? Not suggestion, this command. And it was what? Not it wasn't meant to be this driving thing that makes you, you know, uh, be all angry because you have to slow down. It was a gift from God. It was a gift. It was built into God's nature. It was built in because he had to have, what, six days he worked, seventh day he rested. It was built in the nature, therefore, because we're created by God and God's image, it's built into our nature. But something about Babylon and something about the USA and something about our culture tells us to go fast, run hard, do, 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 bigger, better, faster, shinier, whatever. Do, 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 do not stop. Because if you stop, you're going to lose money. You're going to lose product. You're going to lose the potential. You're going to miss out on what's going on, but God's going, no, 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 no. Stop. I command you, stop. Why? Because I'm a mean God. No, because he's a loving God, and he wants you to thrive in him, and he wants you to know him. And he wants to speak to you. Sabbath is a deliberate act of not doing. It's self-care. Culture says you are what you do. You know why you are often and why culture is often depressed and medicated over the top and all. And I'm not anti-medication, but I'm saying this. The reason sometimes this is going on and we're trying, is because we're trying to find our identity in what we do. You were never meant to find your identity in your job, your work, your stuff at all. You were meant to find your identity in God. And when you find your identity in God, you know what begins to happen? Everything changes. When you go to work, you're not finding your significance in your self-worth. Though culture's written about that, it talks about that, it preaches about that. You're, a Sabbath was meant to do what? A Sabbath was meant for you to refocus on God and to realize that all the other things are meaningless apart from your relationship with your heavenly father. 
period. So some of us feel guilty and, you know, if we're not, if we're not productive, we're wasting time because that's the way our culture's driven us, right? We're driven by it. But you were created to have a relationship with God. You were created to know God and, and have an intimate relationship and out of that live and work and do our culture knows nothing of setting aside 24 hours to stop and rest. And I am chief of guilty people. Imagine you're the job, your boss, you've got 10,000 employees you care that you uh, take care of. And all of a sudden you go, I've got to take 24 hours to do nothing. You know what it drips of when you turn the light off and close the door and you go home and you do nothing? It's saying this, God, your Lord God, you're in charge. God, I'm not. Do you know what God does as you grow to know him in a Sabbath, 24 hours of doing nothing, stopping, period? He blesses that. He blesses that. You don't have to do it, but you won't experience the blessing. So, so with that, he asks us to stop and rest and delight in his creation. And This is interesting. This, 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 so, so we stop and, and so what, what do you do in the Sabbath? You stop, and then you're to delight in creation and the gifts. I love listening to good music. I love eating good food. I love spending time and fellowshipping and all that. And just, just the playfulness of, of being with family and friends and all that. You know, during a Sabbath, you stop, and you delight in what God has given you. And then you, not only that, but you contemplate, you, you, you focus, you take some time to focus and center on God. And, and it, you know what it is? It's a taste of eternity. It's a taste of going, I literally am free. I don't have the weight of the world on my shoulders anymore, God, because you're in charge and I'm not. I surrender to you. And so you take time to stop, to delight, to contemplate and focus on God. Rabbis pointed out in the Talmud that one-seventh of every week is rest. Then one, if that's the case, then one-seventh of life is rest. 52 days a year you get to rest. 52 days a year. That's 3,642 days in 70 years if you lived to be 70 years old. 3,640 days to rest in your 70 years. You know what that means? That's 10 years of Sabbath to rest and reflect in your lifetime. Out of 70 years, God gave you 10 years to rest. That's 10, snow, 10 years of snow days. I'm not meaning I want snow, but I'm just saying that's 10 years of snow days in which you get to go, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm doing nothing. I'm stopping. I'm delighting. I'm contemplating God. I'm taking time to Sabbath and I'm delighting in the gift that I've received from him that says, you know what? Jason, you don't have to die early. Jason, you don't have to live depressed. Jason, you don't have to find your identity in what you do. Jason, you can have joy in your soul. Jason, you don't have to get sucked into the culture. Jason, you are free. In fact, if you're going, I haven't had a vacation in like 82 years. I'm so fried and burned out. You know why? That's your fault. Because God said this is a command, and I don't know why we haven't preached this for a long time. I'm wondering why we haven't talked about what it means to take a Sabbath, which is a ten, one of the Ten Commandments. And the other ones, we'd go, yep, that one's right, yep, that one's right, that one's good, oh, let's slip that one aside. Sabbath keeping, 
It's not meant to be dry duty and an oppressive obligation, but a delight and a gift from God. So here's some practical steps because some of you are freaking out right now. Seriously, some of you are freaking out because you're wondering, how in the world will I ever do this? First of all, it's foundational. You decide when you want to keep the Sabbath. That doesn't mean that you do it from, and typically for our culture, it might be, um, for us, it might be Saturday night to, you know, Sunday evening or whatever, in which you literally do nothing, and some of you will email me, and you have questions, you can come and ask me, and that's fine, and um, and literally, you'll do your work. This is what you do. If you work six days a week, some of you work five. I don't know, some of you work three. Good for you. That's wonderful. But with that is that you do your work, and you know what the Jewish community did? They worked, they worked, they worked, they worked, they worked, they worked, and their intent was to do this, they, to get it all done so that they could literally take that Sabbath 24-hour period. So they would work with the intent of going, I'm going to Sabbath 24 hours of nothing to reflect, delight, contemplate, stop, and connect. God. So you're gonna, you're, what you're going to do is you're going to decide when you want to take a Sabbath, est- establish a precise and deliberate beginning and ending. You may want to follow the Jewish tradition of starting at sundown to sundown, but you do it. And so the key is, here's some keys to help you be faithful to what God has made you to be, is be attentive and open. Attentive and open. Get comfortable and be relaxed and still. Take a deep breath. That wasn't real deep, and that was a real quick outburst because I don't relax real well. Write down something that might be a centering phrase. Lord, I'm here, and I worship you. You might say, God, I love you. Would you speak to me? You might write that on a notepad. And then you, you take your eyes you close them or you lower them toward the ground and you begin to be attentive in posture of worship. Some of you may be laying down during a time of Sabbath where you'll just lay down and you'll worship God. It doesn't mean for 24 hours that you're doing that. That might be for 30 minutes, but in that 24-hour in in period, you are rejuvenating, but you're taking time out morning, noon, evening to focus on God, let him speak to you. And again, it's going to drive you nuts initially because you've not practiced it. So you're going to you're going to close those eyes and you're going to be attentive in posture and worship and gratitude and humility before God. And so, what are we going to do, do today? We're going to do the daily office, the work of God. And at this time, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If, you, if you're here and just out of sensitivity, I'm going to do something that's going to freak a lot of you out. I'm going to actually have us go into a moment of contemplative spirituality in which we go to complete silence. And I'm going to have put up on the screen Psalm 130, verse 5. It says, I wait for the Lord. The key. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. It may be that um, if, if you have children in here and you need to take them out i'm just going to ask that we go into complete silence and, and if uh, it may be that you need to, to step out it may it, you just sit there it may be that you just you you do what i just told you about just taking a moment it may, to, to maybe some of you might just slip your arms hands up this way to say god i receive from you some of you will be just sitting there and looking at scripture some of you will be just looking at the words on the screen some of you it will be it will be you're going to start thinking about the football game that's coming up tonight you know the packers and it's going to be every, it's going to be maybe your finances it might be what you owe it might be whatever but it's going to be a moment in which you're going to experience in a corporate gathering though you will experience this privately three to four minutes of complete silence to listen to what God 
may be speaking to you. And then Richard will come back. And he will allow us or take us into a deeper worship moment with God. So what do you do? You get silent. You be attentive and open. Get comfortable and relaxed. Take a deep breath. Write down something if you want to write down something. That might be you right now. And invite God to do what God does. He speaks. Lord, right now in this moment, there are people that truly want to know you. Speak to them. Oh God.